0: Hello and welcome to the Business of Agriculture, podcast with me, your host, Damian Mason. We get together every week right here and we discuss issues impacting the industry of food, fuel, fiber, and farming. We keep it interesting because we talk about issues that do indeed matter to you, and I always promise you, we won't bore you with grain charts or weather, but today we do have to reference the weather. My guest is Dennis Haugen. Dennis is a friend of the show. He's been on before. You might know him. He farms 5,000 acres up in Hannaford, North Dakota. He has a company called General Grain. He uh, moves some grain. He also has a grain salvage business, and on the side, just for the fun of it, he has a proprietary uh, product called Jackhammer Radishes for, uh, for cover crop and soil compaction breakup. He's gonna tell you about all that, but more importantly, he's gonna give me perspective on what's happening in the Great Plains and the upper Great Plains. We've got some real problems there, And what's going to be the long-term impact? You might be a Nebraskan, you might be an Iowan, a Missourian, a South Dakotan, or a Kansan listening to the Business of Agriculture podcast. We very much appreciate you. Also, our heart goes out to you. I know what's going on. I've been to all those places for my travels to do speeches at ag meetings, and it is absolutely devastating devastation is the word it's nothing it's nothing short of just uh, heart-wrenching and uh, I've been watching it so Dennis is going to be on we're going to talk about what all this damage means for the business of agriculture looking forward for the operators for the processors and for the industry in general Dennis Haugen welcome to the show good talking to you Dan it's always a pleasure it's always a pleasure and you are indeed you are indeed a frequent guest and friend of the show i don't know if that gets you anything like if you go into hannaford to the diner and ask for a piece of free pie does that come with uh, does that come for free because you said I'm, I'm a guest a frequent guest on the business of agriculture podcast i uh, damon i just don't i don't see that happening <laughs> you might you know the good thing is you might get mentions and then you also might get a few of my uh, my hate mail types might start coming to you and say well any friend of any friend of mason's is an enemy of mine (laughs) (laughs) all right well i'll I'll deal with them one at a time that's fine that's what i do all the time when you take a stand when you have a brilliant and intelligent uh, opinion sometimes there's people that don't like that okay You're from the North Dakota uh, agricultural world, Uh, just south of you, all hell is breaking loose. You're a great person to have on this show to talk about this because you keep up with transportation, you keep up with grain markets, you keep up with all the stuff that happens when there's a disaster that causes grain uh, spoilage, rotting, and damage because of your side business, grain salvage. So, what's happening in that part of the world. And I'm talking from somewhere around Sioux Falls South all the way to somewhere in the West side
1: of Missouri, right? Yeah. Right now, basically Sioux Falls of Kansas City. Okay, so Sioux Falls to Kansas City, we got problems. That's the Interstate
0: 29 corridor. It's also the Missouri River corridor. There's also a tremendous amount of of freight that runs through there. You kicked me an email in prepping for our discussion on this from Burlington Northern Santa Fe. Dear listener, you probably already know this, but if you do not, there are four major freight carriers in the United States of America. They are Burlington Northern Santa Fe, Union Pacific, the CSX system, and Norfolk Southern northern Santa Fe is very very busy right through that part of the world moving grain. Uh, what are you hearing about that Dennis?
1: You know' they've, it just some major line closures down there, catastrophic uh, roadway failures, roadbed failures uh, the UP is active in that area too and you know I mean we're talking we're talking some major mainline disruptions there that's you know this stuff's not going to get fixed overnight. No, it's, it can't get fixed overnight. That's the thing. Like
0: that email you sent to me when we were doing our prep is just remarkable to me that most folks don't think about. Like you're not talking about, Oh, the road was closed and a snowplow came through. You're talking about miles and miles of rail. Well, that ain't, that ain't light. It's not easy to repair. And then the stone, uh, one of the videos and that you sent, picture you sent when, from the BNSF, they were showing they had to go through that stone slinger, and they got to relay the ballast uh, and, and then to put the rail on top of that. So what's that mean? It means that none of this is going to happen. get repaired quickly. Uh, service disruptions. You gave me an anecdotal thing that people are telling you about how far the supply is out on rail and trucking. Share that with the listeners.
1: Well, you know, we've, we've had a rough winter here in the U S to start up before this flooding mess all happened. And we were running, we we're running a month behind the rail service to start with, uh, you know, just cold snow, uh, you know, our main rail, lines to the west coast, the PNW, we've got some major hiccups there with avalanches and all that jazz, and just cold weather, you know, trains don't like running when it's 25 below zero, they have trouble with air pressure, and it just things just come to a, a crawl, and, you know, so now, with spring here, and they're trying to catch up, well, now we get inundated with water, and we've got line closures, blah, 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 blah plus 100 miles in, Interstate 29 shut down. I mean, this is right, right in central u.s where we've this is a lot of a lot of traffic goes through this country yeah so here's the
0: the thing and to, to our listeners you know the folks that tune in here yeah normally we don't have as time sensitive of a podcast but this one is pretty damn time sensitive in other words if you're listening to this and it's june of 2020 uh this has all been you know Passed, passed by, but we're recording this right now at the end of March, 2019, uh, by June of 2019, this is still going to be an issue. That's why uh, we need to realize the rail and then also the backups. So on the grain side, well, first of all, let's talk about the reality of what's happening there. You know, you're a farm guy, you own and operate the farm. I'm a farm owner. Admittedly, I'm a little less involved on day-to-day operations. I rent my farm land up, but I was there every day on the dairy farm growing up. You see everything, you know, tornadoes have come through and miss us by a mile. And we just breathe the heavy sigh of relief. Like son of a bitch, if that had come through here, we'd have the livestock, we'd have the fence, we have the silos, you know, knocked down. We're talking about major problems for these producers along a a pretty, well, it might be a a swath of the United States that doesn't look very big, but you're talking about, what, 50 miles wide, 100 miles wide? Because I think I read that Iowa is up to 47 counties under disaster area and about the same or more over in Nebraska, and that's just two of those
1: states. What happens from here for those operators? Well, you know, it's a problem with the operators. A lot of them guys tried to get their corn out higher ground when they you know, before the water hit, but, uh, you know, I mean, soft roads, it's just a bad time of the year to be trying to be moving grain on such a short notice. Uh, you know, these bins are wet now. Uh, they've been standing in water, corn expands, well, any kind of grain expands. Uh, you know, you got bins busting open like a zipper, broken zipper on a jacket. And uh, we've got a new, another new twist in the, uh, in the salvage business here that, you know, just showed up here in the last year and a half or so, and that's called uh, FISMA, which is Food Safety Modernization Act. And legally now, any grain that has been touched by flood water or compromised by flooding cannot be sold and it has to be destroyed.
0: Say that Okay, now here's the thing, dear listener. Dennis, again, has been on the show before, and one of the episodes way back when, you should go and check it out, uh, and I'll put it in the notes on which episode it was, he operates a grain salvage business. So if you see a, a, a grain facility that uh, the bins bust open, he, he's the company that might come in and
1: salvage all that. But he's saying now, Food Safety Modernization Act, is that right? Food Modernization and Safety Act, or Food Safety and Modernization Act, yeah, FSMA, F-S-M-A for short. Okay. Here's the, what you just said. If the grain has been underwater, it can't be used for? Compromised, can't legally be sold without permission from FDA. Okay. So we've got a real issue
0: here. If, if this, uh, So all this grain that's underwater right now, what happens?
1: Well, ideally, the perfect thing is if you could get your hands on it and uh, get it uh, get it to a feedlot before it starts spoiling too bad. I mean, it can be turned into livestock feed and, and utilized. But you know, if there's going to be a whole bunch of red tape here, I mean, this this problem now is so time sensitive that uh, can it all happen before this stuff gets really rotten? I don't know. That's the thing
0: that you're, you're saying, okay, ideally you do this. Well, ideally you do a lot of things, but here's the hell of it. How does that happen when, when uh, how high is the water, Mama? Well, yeah, we can't get this to a feedlot. We can't get this grain out of here. There's nowhere to go because we're surrounded by water. Can't put it on a truck because the roads are flooded. Can't put it on a train because trains aren't even running.
1: Yep. Got a real problem here.
0: got a real problem here. So does this change prices? Is all of a sudden corn and soybean uh, going to, are those numbers going to start rising? Because not because of the May planting. I saw that online. Someone said, well, my golly, these, these futures prices need to start moving. Look at the kind of spring. We're not going to be planting corn. It's easy on March 25th to worry about planting corn, but that corn can get planted May 25th. There's a lot that happens in the weather in 60 days. I don't think that's going to necessarily change futures, but the stuff that's sitting right now, if we just lost one-fifth of our uh, product, one-fifth of the stuff that was in storage, does that change?
1: You know, I'm, You know, it's going to be, the losses are going to be tens of millions of bushels, but one has to remember that our carryout for this year is 1.8 billion bushels of corn. Say that again, 1.8. One, our, our carryout this year is 1.8 billion bushels, not million, billion.
0: 1.8, billion. and we produced we produced about 15 billion bushels of corn in 2018. So the carryout is a little over 10 percent of that, yep. right? Okay. Yep. Okay. So if you've got in in that swath between South Dakota, Southwest Minnesota, Iowa, Nebraska, a little bit of Kansas, Missouri, you're probably talking of that 1.8 billion that was hanging around in grain bins somewhere. What one? one-fifth, one-tenth of that?
1: You know, yeah, it's, it's you know, I mean, you look at the pictures, you look at, you know, I mean, there's a lot of people that, you know, I mean, their, their whole corn crop is sitting in storage and it's lost, you know, I mean, um, on a farm-by-farm basis, it's huge, but in the whole scheme of things for the whole United States, you know, that amount of corn is not that big a deal.
0: Yeah, and of course nobody's saying that we're you know diminishing the hardship these people are going through, but when it puts numbers against numbers, it's uh, it's devastating for those people. It's not necessarily devastating for the entire United States food supply,
1: right? right. But. That being said, we still have to remember that we've got some major supply chain disruptions here. So in the short term, you know, we've got some, you know, some ethanol plants that are shut down just because of the flooding. Other ones are, you know, hungry for corn. Uh, We've got... uh, I've heard of some wheat flour mills that are getting a little tight on wheat supplies. We've got plenty of wheat. We just can't get it to the millers.
0: Yeah. So you and I talked when we were prepping for this show about just in time economics. Now, everybody listening to this podcast, you might say, hey, I know what that is. And if you don't, I'm not trying to insult anybody's intelligence. this is a concept that came about really 30 years ago. I was reading about economics classes, maybe when I was a sophomore in college. Uh, It was really a new concept because in the old days, uh, you were a factory. Uh, Let's say you made made cars. You just made sure that in your factory, you made cars. You had bumpers stacked up over in this building and you had radiators over here and you had tires over here. And then they said, wait a minute, we got to be more efficient. Why don't we let somebody else warehouse all that crap and just bring it to us just in time? So that's the just-in-time economics model as uh, simply as we can break it down. And that's why you see these trucks, like if you are near a General Motors truck facility like me, that's on my way to the Fort Wayne Airport in Indiana, you'll see trucks staged right out there on the highway, getting in my way as I'm trying to get to the airport, I might add, because they are bringing those tires and those bumpers and those radiators in just in time, meaning the factory sits on no more than, say, four hours or six hours of actual inventory that they need that works very well from an efficiency standpoint, except in agriculture, if the ethanol plant says, why would we warehouse a month's worth of corn? Let's let the farmers sit on it. Let's let some grain elevator sit on it and bring it to us just in time. And now the ethanol plant still is above water, but they can't get the product to them because there's no rail nor trucks. And that's what we're talking about. Right, Dennis?
1: Yep. Yep. And it's, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's been a great concept on the egg side too, but when you get a natural disaster like this, granted it doesn't happen every year, but every once in a while it happens and this year we're dealing. Okay. So ethanol plants, you are getting
0: anecdotal evidence. That there's ethanol plants and certainly there's a hell of a lot of corn that's grown right in that area. We're talking about Nebraska, South Dakota, Iowa, Minnesota, and then uh, Kansas and a little bit of Missouri, part of Missouri, Missouri and, Kansas, is not as important to corn production, you might say, but my God, Nebraska, Minnesota and uh, Iowa, three of the top five right there. So there's certainly where there's corn or there's ethanol. So there's going to be supply disruptions to them. If you can't have corn, you can't make ethanol. Uh, do we start seeing ethanol plants in other parts of the world just doubling down and working 24 hours? And if they already were, then where do
1: you go? Well, that's a good question. And you know, the other side, There's one side is the ethanol, which is that side of the coin, but the other side is is uh, there's a lot of livestock feed getting grown, kicked out of these plants every day. And that livestock feed's a pretty huge, it's even volume-wise, it's larger than the ethanol. Yeah, the dried distiller grains that come as
0: a byproduct of ethanol production, and we're talking about Kansas and Nebraska and then in a more third level, probably be Iowa. But there's a ton of feed yards that happen and they feed a lot of our beef in Kansas and Nebraska. So now they're without a supply of dry distillery grains. So they're now scrambling saying, we've got to find something else to put in the bellies of these cattle. So now what are they doing? They're chucking in something from, uh, uh, what, you know, cotton, cotton
1: seed or, uh, well, they, you know, what are they grabbing instead? Well, there's ethanol plants on high ground, yet, But they already had their regular customers, so how much more can they part with? So you change
0: your ration. So now it means you're you're trying to figure out a way to get uh, some other product brought in from from. Texas? Yeah, but
1: but you got to remember, as a cattle guy, and I'm I'm not a cattle guy, but I do know enough about rations and stuff that these guys don't like switching their rations overnight, especially it's just an issue. And you know if they're going to switch, they want to stay switched for a while. So, I mean, it's a tough decision for those guys too. Yeah, because
0: uh, the one thing I can tell you from my dairy farm background as a beef hobbyist, you start changing feed on these, the bovine digestive system is a bit more delicate than we ever uh, want to admit. You know, those those rumens and those displaced abomasums and all those kinds of problems you have. What are we talking about on Just In Time for the human supply? I don't predict bread lines or bread shortages, but I do see some real stress and a lot of jockeying around because as you said, if this stuff can't get across the river or even to the river and they can't put a barge on the river, then there's some flour mill somewhere, some human food processing plants that are going without. What are you hearing and seeing?
1: Well, you know, you know, barge traffic on the Mississippi right now is basically shut down with the high water. I mean, it's just there's just it's just flooding. They can't. You know, there's bridge height clearances to deal with. You know, I've mm-hmm. I've been to that party before where these barges clip the underside of bridges because the water's too high. You know, that stuff's gone on before, so they just shut things down. Um, you know, there's one highway that there's only one way to get from Nebraska to Iowa right now, and that's through Omaha on I eighty. It's the only road open. You know, it's been behind with uh, our freight from the winter up here in, in uh, North Dakota to going to the wheat flour mills and stuff. Uh, talked to one of my merchandiser buddies the other day and they're, they're really tight on supply right now just because, you know, the, the, uh, the shipments are running 30, 40 days late.
0: Now, we usually think that this gives opportunity. Uh, We're going to talk about your opportunity with general grain and the grain salvage business. But before we talk about that, everyone was concerned with uh, being mad about the tariffs. And then that brought up the fact that we had an oversupply of such things as certainly soybeans and a little bit of corn that people in your part of the world were getting crushed because you were so far away that your basis was like a dollar 50 or something off of actual price. Whereas in Indiana, we were not nearly that, bad off uh does this situation help or hurt raise prices for folks in south dakota north dakota that are a little that we're getting more stung on the basis
1: you know it's it's tough right now because you know a lot of these a lot of these end users already had the product bought they was just it's just got to get it delivered yeah they've they've
0: already they've already got it lined up they've got their supply. But, what about now the cash trade moving on and the stuff that they say all right, and the stuff they don't have bought three months from now?
1: I could see some basis appreciation on it. I don't think we're going to see much in the future of the market
0: You mean for that's cash mean for, for stuff you already have the stuff that's sitting around
1: right right uh you know, and it just uh you know your basis will appreciate a little bit just because they they've got to get they got to get more product going down the road, and you know that's that's the job of the basis market is is controlling that. You know, I don't, the futures market, that's, that's stuff that's going to happen in the future. Okay. So
0: you're a smart guy. You're sitting there as an owner of a grain salvage business. Uh, the floodwaters are starting to recede in some areas. And of course we're only at March and we know that we could get, we could next week it could rain 11 inches in some of these areas, but sometime in the next three, four, five weeks, things are going to dry down a, a bit you're going to get a call. You might get a hundred calls. Hey, I have, I have, uh, 150,000 bushels of corn. It was all compromised because my whole facility was underwater. Now granted the stuff up top, it didn't get flooded. It's, it's in a 60 foot tall grain bin. So for crying out loud, only, only the bottom 12 feet got water in it. How does grain salvage business owner Dennis Haugen approach this and how, what's the opportunity?
1: Well, it's going to be interesting because we already talked about the bottom stuff that got wet and was compromised and, and our, new, our new laws are regulating stuff that's been touched by flood water. And by, the way, be, uh, by the way,
0: how does anybody know that? I mean, if it's been touched by flood water and it's underwater for a month, it's going to be rotted or, or wet or swelled up or whatever. But if it just uh, got a little moist, how, do you, how does one know?
1: You really don't.
0: <laughs> So, so it's a federal law that we might be able to have a hard time dictating and defining.
1: It could be hard to interpret that one. And I, I just, I think we're just going to have so much sheer sure volume of compromised product here that, it, you know, I think it's, I think it, it might be just overlooked for now.
0: Okay. So you're, you're a green salvage guy. You get that call. How do you go about what, what's your process?
1: Well, I think a lot of what's going to have to happen. The problem is, is, in a grain bin, when you unload a grain bin, all the, all the grain comes off the top and goes out through the bottom. That's how a bin unloads. So now you've got the bottom that's all wet. It's going to be an awful lot of grain bins are going to get holes cut the so they can unload the good grain, and then they're going to go from there with the rotten stuff on the bottom. And that's about the only way it's going to work, or a, a grain back in through the top.
0: That's what I'm saying is you've got to either run a tube, uh, a vacuum, and get it off the top, or like you said, cut a hole, and then what, you're just going to let it spill out into – and then, and then you're working off the ground or maybe an auger?
1: Spill it out into an auger or, belt fair or something like that and into trucks. And, I mean, that's that's about the only way, it's, you know, you're going to have to get – and this wet grain is not going to run anyway. I mean, you can open up the trap at the bottom of that bin and it's it's not going to do nothing.
0: No, right. It's just it's plugged up. It's just yeah. – So, there you
1: got a lot of work, a lot of labor, and it also – is it opportunity? Well <laughs> – you know, one, one's misfortune is always another's opportunity, but I'm just so concerned that we are just, me as a guy in the salvage business, like we're going to be just so overwhelmed that we won't even know where to start.
0: Right. Yeah, it's one thing if there's one little pocket uh, that had a problem, but this is such a vast area that there's going to be so much product that maybe sits around for a while. And now here's the next thing. It means those grain bins, maybe don't even have capacity come October of 2019 because they couldn't get them emptied, fixed, turned around, cleaned out, and ready for the new crop.
1: Well, that's exactly right. I mean, you've seen a lot of pictures already on the internet of these bins that busted open like zippers and, you know, all that, all that steel is going to have to be replaced uh, prior to the next storage season.
0: <clears throat> so we were learning about the just in time economics. Do you think that this changes The methods of uh, grain mills, does ADM, does uh, POET uh, ethanol, do do they look at this and say, good golly, we need to have more storage on hand for ourselves because we were sitting there on uh, only needing uh, one day's supply or three days' supply, and that's not going to be enough if we have a catastrophic issue like this again.
1: Well, you know that might be going into consideration, but then the other side of the coin is, you know, how often how often does this happen, and does it justify spending the extra money?
0: Well, I don't want to get too political, but I, in doing my research for this program, uh, looked up. Uh, I just typed in Midwest flood dollars uh, damage cost debt. And Think Progress, which is an extremely left-leaning organization, uh, said that catastrophic flooding like this is going to only get worse because of climate change and we need more taxes because if you charge a lot of taxes, it changes the weather. Everybody knows that. Right. Listener being facetious right there. If you want that sort of wit and uh, sarcasm at your next meeting, put me on stage. That's com. I give speeches at ag events, as Dennis well knows. Uh, so anyway, they also pointed out there's been $14 billion flood or, I'm sorry, weather events uh, in the last a year or something like that. So you're saying how often does it happened? I don't know. There was tremendous flooding in that whole up where you are in 1997. I was up there for business when I was driving on I-29, and the snow along the road was eight feet. And then when that all melted into the Red River, which runs north, so therefore is running, trying to run into more ice, didn't happen. And we know what happened to eastern Dakotas. Um, one article that I read said there's three billion dollars worth of damage. Now, this is going to continue for a long time to talk about the dollars in damage, but that was just then between Iowa and Nebraska estimated at $3 billion. The number is going to be a lot bigger. Now, I don't know who does the estimate, but I had this idea. Insurance companies are going to either ask for a a bailout, ask for the federal government to kick in, you know, just by saying, hey, we can't cover this. We just don't have the ability to cover this, or maybe – some of this stuff doesn't get covered at all because it wasn't actually insured as a flood rider on their insurance. What do you think happens?
1: You know, I I'm not a my business doesn't sit in a floodplain, my house doesn't sit in a floodplain, so you know, but I'm um, 50 miles away from people that do have that problem, you know, and, you know, I, if you got flood insurance, I'm sure that it's going to pay something, but you know, it just gets to the point where, you know, there's so much widespread devastation down there that, you know, I, is this, is this going to be a problem as you, as you said?
0: Well, I know they declared a disaster area. I don't fully know what a disaster declaration means. I've never been in an area that was declared a disaster. It seems to me during the drought years of 2012, uh, you know, I'm Northeast Indiana and God knows we were pretty disastrous, you know, didn't rain for what, three months. And was a hundred, one day I was traveling for business. And my wife said, I'm putting all the fans on, on the cattle. And she says, you just can't imagine our, our old farmhouse with the geothermal running is still 80 degrees. I said, my God, it was 104. 102 degrees in Indiana. It just doesn't happen. That part of the world got declared a disaster area. But even then, all I can remember is USDA, FSA made some payments to you for livestock uh, because they thought you had to buy feed. FSA kicked in and gave money to uh, the producers of corn and soybeans, of course, because their yields were way off. But disaster area for these folks they can't determine what their yields are. We certainly can talk about loss of buildings, etc. What else happens?
1: You know, it just got me thinking about, uh, you know, being in a disaster area. In, in my backyard here in North Dakota, from 1993 through 1997, we were five years back to back declared a disaster area because of excessive rain and we lost a lot of farmers back at that, that those were those were some pretty dark years in my backyard and uh, you know we didn't see much disaster money per se at the same time prices were extremely low we were getting some subsidies there I mean the door was always open for FSA disaster low interest loans but good grief I mean you can only borrow so much money you know I mean there comes an end to that too, you know? Yeah, right.
0: Just just saying, okay, you're a disaster. So what we're going to do is we're going to open up the door. You can get 1.9% uh, uh, money. Well, that still means you're borrowing money, even if it's a low interest rate. It just uh, It puts you in, you're still in hock for a-, a the money's still
1: got to be paid back. <laughs>
0: right. So I, I think about these poor operators in this part of the world, because you and I were talking pre-show. Insurance is one thing. People like to say, oh, well, you got insurance. Okay, first off, let's say you are insured. You know, I pay a significant amount of money for my little, uh, my little farm operation and I don't have a grain leg and a uh, million dollars, a million bushels worth of uh, grain handling facility, just cause I rent my ground. out. It's just not, you know, I've got buildings, but that's nothing like that. If you had that amount of infrastructure and you had it insured, if it is, if it is a situation where now that's all going to be covered, what's going to happen to your premium next year? It seems to me that you're going to just absolutely get crushed on your next year premium and then there's the issue of what if it's flood and you didn't have the flood rider because some insurances certainly I know that my my policy looks look at it doesn't cover
1: terrorism or flooding. Well, you know, I mean there's there's loss ratios in every insurance business, you know, and they'll they'll have a look at that, you know, they'll I'm sure they'll probably spread the premiums over a very wide, wide area, you know, just to cushion the blow a little bit. But yeah, that's a good question.
0: You're a smart guy. You're a couple of years older than me. You've been through the, you've been through a couple of storms, so to speak. What happens out of this? Where does it all go? Six months from now, one year from now, we talk about. Gosh, remember how terrible it was for that whole Missouri River I-29 corridor? The trains couldn't run. The trucks weren't even running. And then everybody was. What? Where does this all end up?
1: Well. You know, we'll always learn something from it. You know, I mean, uh, you know, build the roads up a little higher in a few places. Uh, same with the rail lines. Uh, you know, there's one thing that, you know, kind of got the domino effect started down there, you know, and that was the collapse of that dam at Spencer, Nebraska. And that, that really, you know, that was a catastrophic failure of, of, uh, you know, of a dam that, that, you know, if that wouldn't have happened, it, it, I don't think there would have been quite the, the issues there are right now.
0: But the practical application of just getting things back to normal, you're sitting there in Nebraska and you're an agricultural operator producer. And then you say, okay, I already had my seed bought. In fact, hell, uh, uh it was, there's some seed I had over there in this building. Well, it's ruined now. Uh, my grain handling facility is all messed up. My equipment, uh, I've never, I, I know that you can buy cars and you should always get the car facts on to see if somehow it was, you know, caught in a hurricane. What about a John Deere? Uh, you know two hundred thousand dollar piece of equipment use mach- used tractor sitting there that 's underwater. What happens with that
1: well <laughs> that's that's a good that 's a good question I mean spring's right around the corner these yeah, guys do, do these machi- do these machines fire up? Are we using them in two months Well you know i mean you, you know, if they weren 't run with water in them they you know you shouldn't be able to you know Drain all your rear ends, transmissions, flush them out, and, you know, hopefully, I don't know if they weren't completely submerged, you can get by there. But, you know, I still, with cultivator equipment, got all the wheel bearings are compromised, all this stuff. I just heard a report the other day on rail cars that got flooded. They're talking over 10,000 rail cars are going to have to replace all the wheel bearings on them before they can go back to work.
0: And, you know, you're talking about a time that's for real good for if you're a railroad employee, you'll be working all the overtime you want in 2019 because that rail yard, you know, how hard it is to change. the. Think about the amount of maintenance that's going to be. What else do we what else we learn from this? What else we get out of this uh, cleanup, the silt, the mess. OK, there's that. Then there's the practicality of it's time to go to the fields in another month or so. Can you do it with the equipment you have? Uh, then there's the issue of uh, the insurance. Anything I'm forgetting?
1: Well, on the farming side, you know, there's – we do have our prevent plant insurance, which is going to be a godsend for those people down in this country this year because there's just going to be some land that they're just, you know, it's washed out or they can't get to it by roads or whatever. They're just going to have to, you know, write it off as a prevent plant and, and, and collect some insurance on it. It's that's it, There's going to be a lot of that down
0: yeah, granted. Even though we're only talking into March, uh, it's still if there's water on that ground now, the idea that it's going to be suitable, and like you said, with the roads being washed out or whatever, there's still going to be places you can't get to. So this will actually lower the number of acres that we're going to see put into production in uh, the spring.
1: I see that happening, uh, but, you, uh, but you don't in, see it doing that prices. In, again, in the whole scheme of things, you know, I think. I think that might have more of an effect on, uh, you know, how much grain was compromised because some of that had been sold already. But, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting just to watch, see what kind of numbers start coming out of USDA here with, with all this stuff coming into play.
0: We don't have the answers. It was more of a discussion and a dialogue because I know it's on everybody's minds. Every time I look at it online, I see this stuff. Uh, I I thought it was an interesting take to have Dennis Haugen on here. First off from the grain salvage business and the difficulty of actually salvaging some of that grain, because you look at it and say, is that all wasted? No, but is it all usable? No, there's going to be some problems there. And then there's the reality of the hardship for those people that are going through this. And obviously folks like Dennis and I feel for you. Uh, I I mean, it's, it's, it's devastating. And then there's of course the issue on JIT, just in time economics, you're talking about a bunch of folks that either going to change their philosophy or just realize this is a once every two, three, 10 year situation. And yeah, now the ethanol plants and the grain and the the grain processing facilities and the flour mills aren't
1: going to operate. What else is there? I don't know. Dennis, you got one last thought for me on this? Well, you know, I haven't heard the numbers, but I'm guessing it was probably this could have been like a hundred year flood or a 200 year flood. Well, you know, at the end of the day, do you pay, prepare for something, something like that to happen or you just suck it up and deal with it? And if it, gets, it hits you in the face, that's the bottom line, I think is where I'm going with it.
0: Yeah. The bottom line is you're going to say this happens once every hundred years and we're not going to change what we do. We're just going to realize this happens once a century. You know, smart money would say that. Yeah, you played the odds. All right, this is this has been the Business of Agriculture podcast. Dennis Haugen's been my guest. Thanks a lot, buddy. You better go out there and take care of your jackhammer radish business now.
1: <laughs> well, we got a nice sunny day here in North Dakota, and the water's actually running up here. So uh, this is the first water I've seen running today. So I guess our uh, our our, uh, our uh, flooding in the Northern Valley here it might start happening here shortly too. So we'll see how that all plays. So all right. The next on the docket.
0: Good. Good for having you. If you're listening to this and you say, I've heard of this guy before, that's because he's always here. He's a guest and he's a friend of the show. His name's Dennis Haugen. You can find him through general grain of Hannaford, North Dakota. And you can also look him up with Jackhammer radishes. It's a neat product. It's this proprietary cover crop and soil compaction, uh, penetration product, right? <laughs>
1: We're out there with uh, with uh, everything cover crop. You got it. All right.
0: Till next time, it's the business of agriculture. Damian Mason, thanks for being here. Till next time.